control pitch, retired head coach of the Melson Utahs and coordinator and uh, interim coach and interim coach again and all that. And, uh, you know, I'm Rich Pitch. Hey, baby, look, I bought that anchor. You know, tune in that antelope on that anchor app because I'm a millionaire, baby. I'm getting paid. I'm getting laid. Got that $16 million, you know, to, to, uh, my, my golden parachute and everything. And, you know, I mean, I bought that damn app. You know, I mean, why not? Hey, because I can do it because I'm Coach O, bitch. And, look, we got that drunk neighbor coming back. That boy, good, you know. He been gone a while. He got the drunk dog. He met a new woman and all that kind of stuff, you know. And he got him a good good tale to tell and all that stuff, you know. He's going to be talking about a lot of stuff. That's a, the, the prodigy goal. Uh, porridge eating uh, prodigal son, but that a neighbor, prodigal drunk neighbor. And he's coming back, you know. It's all going to be good in the hood with Coach O and crew. Because I am Coach O, bitch. Go Tigers. Let me see thy face. What wouldst thou know, my queen? Magic mirror on the wall. Grant me good future wages. And I'll bet them all. Strongly caution. Following programs are intended for mature audiences over the age of 18. These programs may contain some material that many parents would not find suitable for children and may include intense violence, sexual situations, coarse language, and suggestive dialogue. We gave Kenny Loggins a week off. He'll be back, though. This is the big one. And I hope you listen to that parental advisory. Maybe a few curse words in this episode. Get the fuck up. That didn't take long. But anyway, get on up. Here it is. Episode number 115. Magic Mirror on the Wall. Grammy Good Futures. And I'll bet them all. I'm your host, Danny Belts, here on the big one. Episode 115, the Futures episode. Thanks to Coach O, the former head coach, the LSU Tigers, for jumping on here. The drunk neighbor's about to warm it all up in here with the LSU preview and his outlook on the upcoming year. Got that big game versus Florida State. I'll probably be watching that with him and a bunch of maniacs in the beach house. Sharp Insight Consulting, L.A. Burns. We're going to talk about that in the very beginning. That guy is making waves. He was on the show all last year, as you remember. Well, he's finally done it, website and all, and we will certainly be talking about that. Bro Exotic is coming on with his first pick of all times. He's used some woke quadratic equation with, I don't know, appropriation and mascots. It's probably going to work out. He's going to win a million dollars. Tommy Bench returns. At the end, everybody's talking about this Futures episode. Even Barack Obama is talking about this Futures episode. Check it out. It isn't easy. It won't be easy. It wasn't easy. To win the future, that's how we'll win the future. That's how we will win the future. It's just the biggest episode of the year when the greatest president of all times is talking about the Futures episode. I just cannot wait to get in here. I'm going to break down some of the futures, how I look at these beforehand. The Molly music is going to be flying around, pal. I'm riding that music like Seattle Slew. It's going to be incredible. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode and do me a favor. Reach out and touch a brother and tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. Just do all these things and then we should be, we should be just fine. I'll also get into my week one picks. I don't have that many. Unfortunately, one of them we're going to have to put on the Instagram page because it will not be up yet. Probably comes out this afternoon. 
the Washington State-Idaho game, probably the most anticipated game for everybody out there, including myself, and how could it not be? I mean, the mighty Vandals of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho, are only six miles from Pullman. This is one of the biggest rivalries of all times. I mean, yeah, sure, there's Auburn, Alabama, and there's Texas, Oklahoma, and there's Duke in North Carolina. What about Idaho and Washington State? Certainly up there. Yeah, Yankees, Red Sox, little history there, but who cares, right? I want to watch them play on low definition while some high school intern films the game and gets head faked on every play action on the lowest definition humanly imaginable. That's how I imagine uh, watching this game. Let's kick this off with Sharp Inside Consulting. So L.A. Burns came on here almost every episode last year offering uh, his service. We had a couple people take him up on it. Now he's got his website running. I've been hearing his commercials on 870 AM, local flagship here. Not exactly a low-watt radio. Uh, I don't know what the wattage would be. Is that what you say? You can almost hear 870 AM from Atlanta at night. My uncle lives out there, and he can hear it. So he's on WWL 870's website and constantly being advertised with them on the radio. And his service is extremely unique. It's $500 a year, and it's totally worth it. In his last two years, he's gone 22 and 11. Every single one's documented. I know this sounds like a stupid tout service, but it's not. But you get so much more than just one pick. The dude's batting, he's batting 66%. One pick a week, his picks are money. We all know this. But what I like about Sharp Insight, and again, he's coming on next week to further advertise this on this platform. But the $500 a year gets you so much. So he writes up about 15 to 20 games of relevance every week. You get a daily email with progression There's all kinds of quotes. This dude, I don't think anyone works harder than him. He digs all the way down videos and quotes from players and coaches, things that matter. He's able to unearth and ferret out and bring that to light. He has a situation report, whereas some teams would be in a bad situation. Let's say Alabama plays in two weeks, they play Georgia or and then but before that they have to play, you know, like Vanderbilt, not the best spot for them. That's a bad example, but you know what I'm saying. But his full service really encapsulates an awful lot, sharp-insight-consulting.com. L.A. Burns, it is the best service possible. I give him my $500 every year because it's just that good. And he answers texts and emails. Email or text him about a game you're interested in. You'll get objective You'll get objective analysis from him as well as some of his opinion. But it's even worth it even if you just want to follow his picks The dude just wins, much like we do on this show. Sharp-insight-consulting.com. The best handicapper here in New Orleans. And yes, he is better than me. And I do think I'm pretty good. If you break down the numbers by the years, four years doing the podcast, we are 56.8% versus the spread. That is unbelievable. If you take away that stupid COVID year, it's almost at 59%. But the futures have been where I have made my mark. 22 and 7 75% over these years. They're all there, got the receipts, proofs in the pudding, ran through it last year, four out of five. We lost Georgia Tech, and this year I have four. One pro, I'm going pro, and three college. I have an honorable mention one that I'm just going to have to leave out because it just looks like it's going to happen, and I need to get away from that. Mostly what gets me in trouble is myself. And this year, I doubt that's going to happen. If I could be stumbling around drunk and picking more winners than most people you know, what happens when I focus and actually get back to some sort of maintain of discipline? And, you know, just doing what normal guys should do, which is what I plan on doing this entire season. So you are going to be in 
for quite the treat. When looking at these futures, so much goes into consideration for me. But the big thing that I do not do, and I've always said this, is I don't look at the schedule and then go, all right, that's a win, that's a win, that's a loss, carry the one. No, you cannot do that. Because you can do that to an extent, okay? Yeah, like, okay, Alabama plays Utah State. Utah State looked horrible last week. They're probably going to beat Utah State. I get it. Even though Utah State's pretty significant in their weight class, of course, Alabama's a 30-something point favorite. They're going to win that game. But what I mean is in conference play, when you start looking at these games, like let's say you're a big LSU fan and you like LSU over six and a half, and I think Mississippi State travels here, but let's say they go to Mississippi State. They'd probably still be favored out there. Are you just going to count that as a win? There's so many of these coin flip conference games that you have no idea what's going to happen. So really, in order to be effective here, this has to be high ticket, big picture and getting away from the schedule. As stupid as that sounds, it, it's not. Vegas does not really know what to do with these. So they're going to post these. They, don't, they do not like these win totals. I can tell you for a fact they do not like them. They can only put these games at a certain point where they line these, you know, eight and a half to nine. That's huge, obviously. And you'll see that because they'll juice the holy dog shit out of popular teams like USC, Texas, Notre Dame, and Alabama. So really what they're doing is discouraging you from trying to take that over because that's all everybody does is take overs in these futures. And they'll juice the shit out of that at minus 150, really taxing you if you lose. There's a significant advantage against the house in week one, particularly in September. Just remember last year what we did before you roll your eyes. Yes, we're big on Western Kentucky. Let's just recap that. They play Tennessee Martin out of conference, right? First game of the season, they play an FCS team. They had no idea what to do with this. So they put it at what the data would allow them to do from the previous years. You can't factor in this Houston Baptist transfer, Bailey Zappi, is going to light it up. Somebody said he would. I forgot who it was. But they certainly couldn't account for that. And so the line that comes is according with the past basically the math, and you get a total of 57 and a half. Well, that's pretty interesting because Western Kentucky scored 59 around the third quarter. And then as Western Kentucky continued to play these games first after the Army and then Indiana and then even Michigan State and Sparty, all these games were going over. It almost took them five weeks to catch up. It's going to be the same thing this year. The big thing about the futures is not just getting the win at the end. It's being able to pluck the low-hanging fruit very early in September before this all gets realized. No one is going to see some of these teams coming. All of these lines are going to be out of whack. You will have value nearly everywhere with these teams I'm going to talk about after the drunk neighbor comes on. So the value is almost a smorgasbord. And you can take what you want. You can leave that there. It's like a buffet. You don't have to take me all in. But I will say, if you play against me, you're probably going to lose. Go ask Stanford Steve. I know everyone's rolling their eyes on that one. I'm 2-0 versus that guy. He seems to be, I guess, the, you know, the, the PhD of these futures. I creamed him when he said Memphis wouldn't win 9.5. He almost went undefeated. And then he was big on Eastern Carolina for some year. I wasn't. It went under easily. I definitely know what I'm doing here, and it's important you know that because we don't just wake up and start throwing darts. For those of you that have been with the show know that I typically really, really struggle in November. Really. Like I say, play me in September, ride me in October, fade me in November, and then we get some back in bowl season. I have a very good idea or a belief that that is not going to occur uh, this year, as I think, and I'm going to go on the record as saying for the first time in this show's history, although we clip at an extremely high percent, I will clip against the spread over 60%. This year, take that to the bank and definitely keep that receipt because you're going to want to do that.
So as far as these futures go, as I said, I think people get into the weeds when they start counting wins and losses. The overall, the, the aggregate of the entire, if you looked at this as a board and you broke everything down, the big thing that you're really going to want to look at is, is this team just going to be undervalued early, as I said earlier? Because if they are, then all of a sudden, that win total means dick, right? An example would be Washington State. Yes, yeah, no surprise, I'm big on them and their quarterback. They go to Madison, Wisconsin, week two. They're a double-digit favorite. I think they can win that game. I really do. I think they can win that game. I'm not saying they will, but all of a sudden, if they win that game, your Wisconsin future is shot if you have the over. And if you have the Washington State over five and a half, you almost expected to lose that game anyway. So what it does is it gives you a lot of like, hey, I'll take it if it comes, but if not, we'll still be there at the end. And that is the teams that I've aligned with this year. If they just do what they need to do, they'll win probably one more than they need to win. But if they really do what I think they can do, they will blow these win totals out of the goddamn water, just like last year with everyone we had, Western Kentucky and Texas San Antonio. Their mark went over before the end of October. Uh, We were rolling on these. I see no forecast ahead, no thunderstorms. And we're supposed to have a horrible, oh, it was really hot early. We're going to have a terrible hurricane season. We haven't had one yet, and I just jinxed it. But about this time last year, Ida came and destroyed us. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. These guys, boy, I tell you what, Al Gore was right. Man Bear Pig was on the money when he said that the eastern seaboard was going to basically be underwater. And that's about right the time when President Obama bought that house in Mathis Vineyard. And he also said, we'll be underwater. Funny how that works out now, doesn't it? You got to love a guy. You got to, real segue real quick. You got to love how people can't stand guys like Dr. Oz that make a bunch of money in the private sector and then that's terrible. Well, what about all the liberals that make money in the public sector when they come in and their net worth is under a million like Michelle and Barry Obama and leaving their net worth is over 72 million? Oh, those are book sales. Really? You know how much books you have to sell to net $1 million? Like a million books. You don't get much money after that when the publishing house takes their cut at all. Oh, I'm going down a rabbit hole. But anyway, you love it. I love it. We all love it. It's going to be a great show. Before we kick this off, allow me to introduce my former co-host. People were asking, everyone's talking about it, why he left. Look, his job got very difficult. And I am very difficult after my third bottle of Cabernet before 7 o'clock in the evening. It's difficult to record a show with me because I'm all over the place, drunk, and it took five hours to record. I'm sure that had something to do with it, but I'm glad that he came back. He has the time to do it now. The young man's getting married next year, and I have the pleasure of being in that wedding. And this weekend is his bachelor party, which is going to be a whole new experience for me, not drinking at an event that basically circles around blackout, throw up, drinking, but I'm sure I'll be just fine. We're so happy to have him back for so many reasons. The guy's got great insight to LSU. He's on the pulse of everything. And LSU is a national story this year, whether or not you want to believe that or not. How could you not believe that? Everywhere I go, a national story doesn't mean good or bad. It's like being Times Person of the Year. Went to Bush one year, Bin Laden one year. Hey, it's just you're the man of the year. But LSU's massive headlines now with this new Coach Kelly coming down from Notre Dame. Very weird. No matter where I go with the LSU sweatshirt, people ask me everywhere in Washington, California, in Florida, all right, in Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi, wherever I travel and wear this, hey, man, how do you feel about that new coach? It's definitely a national story, so that's why we're extra happy to have him on every week to guide us through this new verse and chapter 
in the new Bible being written by Coach Brian Kelly, and we are looking forward to having him on. So without further ado, let's just warm it all up. Has anybody seen The Drunk Neighbor? Oh, I know what that sound is. <laughs> the Drunk Neighbor is back on the Sports Antelope, episode 115. We're glad to have you back, bro. It's been a while. How you been? Feels good to be back. My friend, ready to talk some Tigers. A lot's changed since my last episode. A lot has changed. You don't mind my neck opening for you here? I feel kind of appropriate. Yeah, I mean, uh, go for it. I like it. Uh, we'll just... <laughs> I, found the, I found the rap version one. Anyway, the drug neighbor back in studio, and I've been talking about this for a while. Uh, just to get you up to speed, we are going to be having him on weekly to give us his take on not just LSU upcoming but the whole year god knows what it's going to bring so much <laughs> and i'm going to go ahead and just pass the mic to the right i think you have a lot to address before we get into florida state tell us about how you feel about kelly the season your predictions and then we can get into the big game uh next monday all so right Sunday. Awesome. well first of all anadotions it's good to be back good to be talking to you all again i'm super excited to talk about some college football as we're going into labor day weekend uh, all right, so we got a new head coach, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, can we talk about something other than like a fake accent or a culture fit? Oh, or no. you, you know we're talking we about Cajun talk? appropriation? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand how we can have a coach that doesn't have a Cajun accent. I mean, that, that can't be, right? Let me explain something to the idiots <laughs> that are out in the media and just across the country that are saying things like that. The culture that fits in at LSU is winning. That's why Nick Saban still everyone loves him there. Even why we put up with less miles for a long time and why 2019 people liked Coach O because we were winning. You notice that even when you have a Cajun accent, when you're getting your ass beat by Kentucky <laughs> up and down the field, Jesus. you're going to get ran. All right. So very excited about Brian Kelly changing the culture here, uh, putting in actual standards into the team. Now, with all that said, I'm going to temper my expectations and be unlike Ooh. every other LSU fan in year one. Oh. <laughs> you want to talk about that a little bit? Let's hear it. I'm, so, I'm just bated breath, man. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, at the begin a few months ago, most of our fans would have said, ah, well, you know, six and six, seven and five. But then, you know, all the preview magazines start coming out and you see... Uh, Boutte or neighbors run a route without a defender on them and catch a ball clean and uh, oh well you know I think this team they may be able and nothing has changed <laughs> other than obviously the transfers but nothing has changed but now we're gonna talk ourselves into ten and two or I think we could beat Alabama we got them at home this year now look I I think we need to temper expectations there I am excited about. Uh, Den Brock as the OC coming in from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. I am excited about Matt House coming in from the Chiefs, who, speaking of Kentucky, was pretty awesome as their defense coordinator back a few years ago. So it's exciting. Um, let's talk about uh, how, how we think they're going to look against Florida State. We're, so I'm not as high on Florida State as you seem to be. Yeah, and that that's totally understandable. And, and that's kind of fits my persona as the future. It's not to say I'm right. But it kind of fits my, well, no one likes him. So, I have, you know, it's kind of like Sean Payton. No one wanted him. Uh, but I'm not going to put taste in my quarterback here. I totally get that. And just to piggyback on what you said, it looks like Vegas uh, sides with you on the, side, on the realism of 
Hey, look, they put it at, was it six and a half wins over under? Was it seven oh, in some places? Yeah. So clearly anything over eight wins, in my opinion, probably yours, is a huge success. And anything over eight, like nine, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. His schedule is not easy, especially in the real estate of the SEC West, which is just ridiculous. But yes, your bachelor party will be, I will be there. Okay, We'll Re- be watching this game together. Yes. I'll be... I'll be Probably ref- a couple dozen Miller Lights deep. That's about right. I don't expect anything less. I think you're going to have me referee a keg race or a case yeah. race. Yes, yeah. We're going to need you for that. The duties of... Uh- <laughs> The sober belts, but so I'll probably have to watch some tape before the next week uh, yeah. before we record this again. So let's talk a little bit about the game. Um, what did we learn about Florida State playing to Kent's? Probably not jack shit, right? I mean, like, what, what do you learn from a team like that? They, but they did what they were supposed to do, right? So I think when you look at LSU this year, they have a couple of really, really strong parts, and I think that's going to be their defensive line, especially. You've got uh, Ali Gay, B. Joe Ojolari, and Mason Smith up the middle, who's just a freak. And he can actually move all over the line. And I think that's where they're going to kind of have an advantage against FSU. Uh, you know, where Florida State could probably take advantage a little bit is against that uh, a bunch of transfers in this defensive backfield. Uh, but one thing I, I did want to point out was Mike Jones Jr., our linebacker for LSU, when he started getting it down last year is when LSU started playing a lot better. Mm-hmm. It's whenever they started really, like, sticking with Alabama throughout. Should have beat him if Max Johnson was worth <sighs> more than – yeah. So, and then they <laughs> – I mean, they, they held uh, – who was it? Arkansas to 13 points most of that Very game. winnable they, game. They played good defense down the stretch, and it was all connected to him. And you got a lot coming back. The parts where you're going to be missing is, you know – it looks like they're going to have a transfer from McNeese start at one of the end zone corner. Uh, you know, you do have some guys coming back uh, as far as like major burns. Uh, they have seven banks that's coming in from Ohio State. Uh, the kid Converse, who's a transfer from Oklahoma State. So what you're hearing right now is there's a lot of picks and pots here and there. Mm-hmm. So that's where they're kind of weak. Uh, I think LSU's offensive line is uh, suspect. So is Florida State's. Yeah, so that, that's where I think LSU has the advantage on yeah. defense to just kind of maybe push that offensive line around a little bit. It seems like Florida State, in the traditional Mike Norvell way, just wants to run the football. Uh, so if they could stop them from doing that, we'll, we'll be okay. Uh, I, I don't know. But on the other side of the ball, when LSU's on offense, well, are we going to talk about a quarterback controversy all, all day? I mean, I, know what... I did want to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. So it, it seems like it's going to be Jaden Daniels. I don't know. It could be Garrett Nussmeyer. I'm comfortable either way. So I, I think either way, you got a guy that can throw and move. So, and they're going to need to move because you got a uh, freshman at left tackle, oh, yeah. Will Campbell. He's good. Uh, but, you know, one of the highest recruits in the country, but they're throwing him right in. And, you know, that's where I'm going to temper my expectations this year because you're going to get guys like that that are going to get some great experience. On the other side of the ball, you got Harold Perkins, the linebacker. Watch out for this guy. He is a dude at linebacker. But, again, a freshman. So he's going to get some experience, get knocked around a little bit. But where I get a little more concerned as we're putting like a center, Dellinger, never played the position until this summer. So you're gonna, you may look out for a couple of bad snaps, that kind of thing. The good news. What if they have any time to throw back there? There are some absolute dudes to throw to. You got Boutte, you got Bash, you got Neighbors, you got Jari Jenkins. You've got multiple guys to throw to. Uh, Mason Taylor, son of NFL great defensive end from the Dolphins, is going to be their probably their starting tight end. 
so it's exciting. I think LSU could pull it off. I wouldn't go anywhere near this game, gambling-wise. I, I just I can't get a feel for what LSU's going to do. The last two years, they've opened up looking like absolute trash. But I am a little bit more confident, and, and I think what I think we can look forward to this year is not jumping off sides whenever we have the ball third and one. Yeah, you know, that's I, a big it, False start, excuse me. Not having delay of game, not calling timeouts midway through the second quarter because they can't <laughs> get the play in. So that's why I think they're the, and I hate to sound like CNN after Biden was elected, but it does feel like the adults are back it in does, charge. It does feel There's like the decency <laughs> back in Tiger Stadium. So uh, I am excited about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's... It's one of those weeks, I don't think you're going to see me brown water, drunk neighbor, getting no? too hammered and screaming at the TV. But that could all change Sunday night. It could I change. I, things. I think you'll be saying that until Sunday night. I feel brown water, Andrew, will make brown water, <laughs> drunk neighbor, will be here at some point. Uh, we, we need that. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, for me, I, I like brown water, uh, drunk neighbor. But anyway. Uh, can, can I just circle a couple of games absolutely. that I wanted to talk through? So here's the games that I have circled. Auburn. I think Brian Kelly needs to beat Auburn. I think that's a big one that, you know, yes. they lost to them last year. They should have beat him. Remember Bo Nix, Blow Dix, was up, <laughs> who's now in Oregon, ran all around the place on Another one that I have circled that's very important, and I'm not saying it's going to be one that they have to win, but going into that October matchup against Tennessee, there is an opportunity for that to actually have a lot of buildup to it because both teams could – show up undefeated. I'm not saying that they will, but there's a there's an opportunity there for that to be like a college game day type atmosphere. And that'll be Brian Kelly's first like giant Saturday night in Death Valley. Mm-hmm. That's one that I'm really, really looking forward to. And then as always, I, I like to see him play the Aggies, the cult Texas ass to mouth. Oh, you love them. So I, I'd like to just put a little hurt on them every once in a while. Uh, I know they're hanging a banner for having the number one recruiting class. Again. Because that's all that matters <laughs> is recruiting classes. You don't have to play the game. So those are the three games I'm most excited about this year. This FSU game should be a great way to kick it off. Uh, super excited for this weekend. Great to have football back. By the way, I like Purdue over Penn State. Ooh, I was going to slip that one in. I know you're not a big fan of Penn State. That's a big game. Early on in the year, I think it's Thursday, isn't it tomorrow? I believe. I think yeah. It's a Thursday game that's got implications on it. Um, before we run though, LSU Florida State. I have no. I'm not betting that game. I, I don't know how you do, um, but I do think, and I'll I'll do the cliche one. I'll, I'll pull the Fox Sports. Could be a close game. Whoever has the ball at the end might win. But I can clearly see that kind of being the case. Twenty to twenty-one late, something like that. Yeah. What's the total? Maybe we just go under fifty-two. Yeah. yeah. I don't, why not? I can't really see this being a barn burner. <laughs> Well, anyway, drunk neighbor, we uh, thanks for jumping back on the show. Thanks for ripping that Miller Lite like that. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Oh, six hairs of my chest stood up when you did that, man. <laughs> we'll catch you next week, buddy. Thanks, Anadotians. Some great insight there by the drunk neighbor. He's really reining back the fan in him, but he's usually very realistic when it comes to his teams he likes, and I, I am to an extent as well, and I think he's pretty spot on with LSU there and his – predictions or expectations for the season more importantly but for this game I'd have to take the points with Florida State only because I like getting points more than I like giving them but what a huge game this is for both programs if you really think about it Norvell needs this win so bad Florida State would love nothing more than to get their season going with a couple early wins in September one being basically a road game playing LSU out in the Superdome and on the other side You know, people, I've heard them say, well, you know, it's not really that big of, I've actually heard that. This is a huge game for LSU. 
It's huge. Because I guarantee you one thing nobody wants to see. Florida State somehow drums them. This is not how you want to start this off. Even though the expectations are realistic, it's almost like there is pressure on Kelly already because this is one of the high-pressure jobs in the country, one of the highest-paying jobs in the country. But with that pressure comes a bevy of unbelievable recruiting talent locally here in Louisiana, continuously pumping out kids to the NFL left and right. So it's huge for both coaches. This is a massive game with amazing headlines, in my opinion. It's probably one of the more important games of week one that won't get the same press because they're not high in the rankings. Actually, none of them are. But it doesn't matter because it's going to be quite the game. And the under seems to be the play. I agree with the drunk neighbor. Probably should just take the over. It makes no sense. It'll probably go over 90 and somehow be a track meet. But who knows? So anyway, let's just get right into it here. Pro totals are so much different than college. I mean, if you have problems identifying wins in college, how the hell are you going to do that in pro where literally nearly any team can win on any week? Now, it's rare, but it could still happen. Uh, you know, are the Jets or the worst team in the NFL if they go to Arrowhead? Yeah, they're probably taking an L, but things can happen in football. It's just one of those games. You get a couple injuries. All of a sudden, Chad Henney's under center instead of my homie. And then all of a sudden, this game gets a lot different. Pro football futures to me... I don't like these overs on them. We took the Saints at 8.5 earlier in the season. That is on the record. Now that's kind of gone sideways with some injuries. And Man, I really don't know about these guys. They have a lot of talent. We'll see. But the further one on the record will be this one. When it comes to pro totals, the only way I really know how to go is to find a team that's overvalued and overrated and take them under because they nearly can lose every game. Not every game, but any game. There's no guaranteed wins at all in pro football. I mean, the most drastic would probably be the Jets going to play the Rams or maybe the Jets going to play the Bills in Buffalo or something and the Chiefs. But even then, you just never know. So it's, I just feel it to be safe to, you know, take these unders. And speaking of which, I know everyone's waiting for it. Everyone's talking about it. Let's just get it going. Crack open the molly. Woo, it's cold been a while. Let's take this down to the NFC South, to the land of Asterix Super Bowls and Pirate Hookers, a team that right now has no center. Their Pirate Center, who is a Pirate, Jensen is out. And then the Pirates replacement, I think he tore his, his knee or something, so he's out. And they're snapping the ball to a guy that no one has seen. Remember that show, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I have a different show. Check this out. Has anybody seen a lost quarterback roaming the beaches of Florida? Maybe in an old folks home by now? Has anybody seen this man, his avocado ice cream? I don't know. Maybe these guys have the 45-year-old quarterback? I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? Where in the world is the 45-year-old quarterback? I have no idea. Anybody seen him? Here's a better question. Has anybody seen where their previous coach is? Where is he? Oh, I know what they did. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are treating Bruce Arians like an unwelcome mother-in-law that they let into the guest room, then got aggravated with, kicked her out of the house. Now she lives in the backyard in a tent by a raised pool. That is no way to treat people, especially senior citizens that wear life support vests during football games. Does Tampa have any, do they even care about human life? 
But I'll tell you what, Tampa is already 0-1. Nobody knows it yet. I don't know if it's the Tampa Rays or the Tampa Bucks, but they're 0-1 versus Ron DeSantis. That's a fact. I think it was the Tampa Rays who took away funding for something or other. I have a clip right here of DeSantis having a conversation with the Tampa Rays general manager. This is all factual. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? I had you people try to get a little track lead, not to jump around like a bunch of Kansas City uh, you heard it there. The sports analyst is not fake interviews. That's a real thing. So I don't know if the Tampa Rays that are on one or the Tampa Bucks that are on one, but I know that DeSantis punked one of them. But let's get back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't understand how you think a team, okay, that won an asterisk Super Bowl with the easiest road of all times, Tyler Heineke, right, a losing Washington team. Then you go to the Superdome, 18,000 fans. Jared Cook fumbles nine times. Then you go to Green Bay, throw three second-half interceptions, but the Packers try hard to lose. Then you play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and their entire offensive line is watching the game from the nosebleeds. All right, I get it. They won, but asterisk to this, asterisk to the Super Bowl, and the media, asterisk to their stupidity for gassing people and making them think this team is actually that good, and they're not. I mean, hell, why are we even having a season? get Stephen A. Smith up there, and he goes through the schedule and talks about how they're going to run through the NFC South, and no one can beat them because they have Tom Brady, and inevitably, he cocks hardcore. They're going to lose a lot of games this year. I don't think Tampa Bay's even better than the Saints, who have owned them. They haven't even scored a touchdown on New Orleans Saints under this Brady reign in Tampa yet on New Orleans. Only three points when they broke up a shutout in some bullshit field goal. Taysom Hill outplayed Tom Brady on that Thursday-Sunday night game last year or whatever. The New Orleans Saints are going to be a menace for Tampa Bay. They are not that good. They're just not that good. And how dare you send Arians out there by that race pool in the backyard. Byron Leftwich is an absolute bum. I don't buy it. I do not buy the fact that Todd Bowles can keep this all together. Gronk is gone. Your 45-year-old quarterback is now a guest host on Where in the Hell is Carmen Sandiego? What could go wrong? Tampa Bay under 11 and a half wins. On the record, minus 120. Under 11 and a half wins. And keep the receipt on this one too, pal. That's a hard pal. Tampa misses the playoffs, plus 215. Under 11 and a half wins. Tampa misses the playoffs, plus 215. Thus saith Danny Belson. I'm just getting warmed up, Chief. Woo-hoo. We all subconsciously root for a couple teams. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, you do it. So, for instance, I root for two teams I've come to realize I'm just kind of fans of their programs and their fan base. One of which in the SEC, one of which in the ACC, and, coincidentally, both have made this Futures episode. You'll be hearing about one in about 42 seconds. But I'll give you an example of which I speak of. Let's take the drunk neighbor. The drunk neighbor is the biggest LSU fan I've ever seen, but he also kind of likes Arkansas. He likes their identity. Their fans are pretty cool. He likes Pittman, their coach. So do I. And they just play a good brand of football that we can both appreciate. I kind of like Arkansas too. That doesn't mean he's an Arkansas fan, but I guarantee you when Arkansas plays Texas A&M, regardless of the implications, he will be rooting for Arkansas because he just kind of likes them, right? I have teams like that. We all have teams like that. And I'm going to talk about one of which that has left my subconscious recently. And last year, I followed them closely. They were great against the spread. I'm very familiar with this school because, you see, I went to college in this state. Let's take it down to the SEC East. 
or the palmetto tree and the crescent moon tattoo is about as frequent as the Fleur de Lis tattoo down here in New Orleans. A conference where Georgia seems to dominate and a conference where a certain team in Tennessee is the monkeypox of the SEC East and so is their ridiculous, ludicrous fan base who still thinks T. Martin is under center and Philip Fulmer is calling the plays, but we've fallen away from grace then, now haven't we? Let's get it going, baby. We're looking at a coach in this instance, and I love the coach of this team, but let's look at the state. Who's famous from this state? James Brown, Chris Rock, Darius Rucker. I met him twice. You know the guy from Hootie and the Blowfish. Vanna White and a wide spectrum of Jacksons. Jesse Jackson, Andrew Jackson, even Shoeless Joe Jackson, Strom Thurmond, General Westmoreland, and Ja Moran. Let's take this down to Columbia, South Carolina. The Gamecocks down in the low country, only an hour and a half from Charleston, South Carolina, where I went to school. I've always liked South Carolina. I like their AD, Ray Tanner. I liked him when he was the baseball coach. I used to watch LSU play South Carolina in Columbia at the Sarge all the time, and these games were absolutely great. South Carolina coached by a legend's son, hired twice by Steve Spurrier, and recently, or not recently, but about, I don't know, 14 years ago, hired to be in South Carolina, the special teams coordinator, and how fitting, being is where his father, Frank Beamer, we're talking about Shane Beamer here, Frank Beamer was the master of Beamer ball, Virginia Tech, how many games did you have to watch where they were not returning a punt, or blocking a punt, or blocking a field goal, or returning a kickoff, he made special teams extra special because it made Virginia Tech with the lesser talent that they had, be a perennial contender and even go to the national championship one year with Michael Vick. A spectacular coach is this young man. Seven special teams pros went out of Georgia for the two years he was under Kirby Smart. This guy is one of the best choices that Ray Tanner could have possibly had. January 6, 2020, he made that decision and I, for one, was a huge fan. They even made a rap song about this guy. You heard about it? Steam and Beamer, something like that? Yes, 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 yes. Ah, Beamer, Beeman, same thing, right? Last football season picked by Phil Steele to finish second to last. USA Today, dead last. ESPN, second to last. CBS Sports, second to last. Beamer stuck it to the whole locker room and posted all those pictures in that locker room and they pirate raped North Carolina in a ball game to go 7-6, and six, probably the largest outkick the coverage team of the year last year. And his impact was immediate because he's an impact type coach. And you enter in Spencer Rattler. I liked him before Spencer Rattler. But much like having... I don't know, if you live in college, you're a senior, you move off campus, there's a drunk chick that lives next to you in an apartment complex that's a massive whore, albeit she's only a hard five and a half. If you strike out at the bar, you can always knock on Susie Rottencrotch's door. In other words, she ain't hurting, and Spencer Rattler ain't hurting that quarterback. They got some big games early. September 10th versus Arkansas, they host Georgia the next week. Two weeks later, off to Kentucky, the Monkey Pox. Tennessee Volunteers come to see them on the 19th of November, a huge game. I think South Carolina is going well over six and a half wins. I think this team can play with Georgia, even though no one thinks they can. They'll be in every single game. They will win more than six and a half games. I think they're going to win eight games. You can't take South Carolina to win this division. The odds really just don't matter. Georgia's probably coming out 
but you can bet on Shane Beamer and this team to go over six and a half. Let's go Gamecocks. It should be noted that South Carolina is plus 125. It's always good when the rare instance happens where you can side with the house and they'll give you more than even money. It's rare, but this is one of the cases. Nobody has South Carolina over six and a half wins. So plus 125 even adds to the value add uh, as far as what you can get from this wager. Furthermore, it's good to distance yourself from the heavy juices that you'll see. Typically with the overs, particularly with teams like Texas, Notre Dame, Alabama, and South California, USC. And it's always good to be on that side. So no one really has this over. No one thinks they can do it. Their schedule is brutal, like I said. But if they're as good as I think they are, they'll do this. And I thought this before they got Spencer Rattler. And much like I said, having a drunk flues, a hard five and a half, living in your apartment complex when you get back from the break, it ain't going to hurt. And he's not hurting anything. But in order to understand this team I want to talk about now, you're going to have to understand a guy named Theseus. We've talked about this before. But please allow me to regale you once again, if you have not. Danny Belts is a big fan of history and even Greek mythology. Even though mythology being fake, right, a myth, many, many lessons can be learned from this in everyday life that is absolutely applicable. The Trojan horse probably being number one. But this one's very fascinating in its own, and it reminds me a lot of what this team is going to have to accomplish if they indeed do what I think they can do, and then some. King Minus of Crete. Not exactly the nicest of kings. Matter of fact, he was horrible. And he took pleasure in sacrificing young Athenians to the Minotaur in the labyrinth maze below his castle. What's the Minotaur? Well, described as half man, half bull, it really should be like third of a wolf. I'll just do half. I'll just be good at math. Half wolf, half bull, half man. <laughs> but he had big teeth, which doesn't really help either with the bull or the human. But who cares, right? The Minotaur was a massive, massive, frightening creature that roamed and terrorized the labyrinth, the big maze that was below the kingdom in the castle of King Minos of Crete. And one day, Theseus basically had enough of this. And the young Athenian came with a lot of the young kids to be sacrificed. And he said, hey pal, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? King Minos of Crete used to love to stand at the entrance of the labyrinth to taunt uh, the people that were inevitably gonna be ripped to pieces and eaten as they walked in to this bizarre maze. This situation brings so many negatives. It's the Minotaur's house. He knows this. It's dark. It's a maze. He knows how to navigate through this. Even if you find the Minotaur, you still have to kill him. And even if you kill the Minotaur, how do you get out of this maze? Well, Theseus, being brave and courageous, was also smart. And the daughter of King Minos of Crete, Aranadni, Princess Aranadni, took a liking to Theseus and gave him an idea, and he thought that it was a good idea. Theseus, with his sword, walked in to the labyrinth, tied a string to the beginning of the entrance, and slowly but surely made his way into this labyrinth, step by step, quiet, deliberate, very intentional. His plan was to sneak up on this minotaur whilst he was sleeping, be easier for him to kill, and if all went to plan, he could follow the string out of the maze 
to the entrance and get the hell out of there. And lo and behold, that's exactly what he did. Slowly but surely, as steady wins the race, they say, step by step, ever so quiet, young Theseus creeps up on the monster while he was slumbering, cut his head off, took the head, and much like King David did the uncircumcised Philistine Goliath, walked out of that maze undaunted, unmolested, untouched, as he followed that string all the way out. You're probably asking, Belts, what in the hell does that have to do with anything? And if you're asking that, I would have to say, well, it has a lot to do with a lot. Certain team in the ACC is going to have to follow the same path that young Theseus did. But how they do it is going to be just as difficult as their course to navigate ain't going to be easy, pal. Crank it up. Buck your seatbelt. We're about to go. Let's take this party down to Tallahassee. That's right, you heard me. We are back in the great state of Florida. This time we're not fading. We're taking the side of the Florida State Seminoles as I indicated last year. Long has been the day of the win massive championship tradition all the way back to the Bowdens, the Charlie Wards, Deion Sanders, even Jameis Winston, Bolden, Warwick Dunn, Derek Brooks, even Chris Winkie. The list just goes on of the greats that came out of Florida State, the greats that played in this particular stadium, in this school. Florida State has a lot more going for them than people think. But before we get into this, I, I do have one little message for somebody that I really don't like. So this one's for you, pal. I debated whether or not I was going to do this or not, but I decided to. Why? Well, I'm not nearly as spiteful as I used to be. But there's just enough spike juice left in my cup to deliver this one troll job for somebody special. Anchor lets me see proximity by city and zip code, idiot. You're the only person I know in Miami, so I know you still listen to the show. You're a moron. Go sit on a cucumber and guess what? Miami's overrated, they're gonna suck. And if you want to fade me on this under, which I hear you do, just hit me up on Instagram and I'll take your money once again, pal. Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled program. Florida State has a ton in common with Theseus, and their task is very similar. Their schedule is very much front-loaded in many ways. What this team's going to have to do is they're going to have to get to that Minotaur. Like I said, they're going to have to kill this team. They're going to have to beat them, put them out of their misery, and I think they can. After Florida State plays LSU, they have Louisville at Louisville. That's a win, hopefully. Boston College at home. Then they play 22 Wake Forest without their quarterback. Then they go to 13 North Carolina State. And then the number four team, the gas bag of North America, Clemson, comes to Tallahassee. They had him beat last year in Tallahassee with lesser talent. And I know Clemson has the best defense assembled since the 99 Ravens or the 02 Bucks or whatever. And they're going to cuck. It doesn't matter. Clemson's overrated. Do not underestimate Jordan Travis. I know the drunk neighbor does not think he's as good as he is. Most people don't think he's good as he is. I don't blame you for thinking that. I don't blame anyone for thinking Florida State is not going to be as good as I think they are. It fits my persona nearly every year for what I want to do here. And it's not because I want to be Sean Payton and start some painter at quarterback that he met at a time saver. No, no. It's because it just typically aligns that way. Not the contrarian nature. It's just the way the chips fall. Florida State has improved drastically in the transfer portal. Norvell has to win this season. He has to. He has the assistant coaches. 
The coaching overhaul was great. The transfer portal has been huge. And much like a quarterback I'm going to talk about in about two minutes, I think Jordan Travis is the best quarterback in the ACC. I think he'll have his chance to prove that this year. I like Florida State over six and a half wins, plus 115, just like South Carolina. We're getting plus money in this instance, and they're going to have to do it just like Theseus when they get to the middle of that maze October 4th and then Clemson comes to the house. The Minotaur leaves its maze to come to Tallahassee. I think they can kill that thing right there, grab that rope, and find their way back out of this labyrinth because their schedule on the back end is way more forgiving than the front end. Florida State is 28-1 to win the ACC. I'm going on the record. Those are great odds. I am taking Florida State to win the Athletically Challenged Conference at 28-1. to I know it's a super long shot, but that value there for what I think this team can do certainly aligns with a couple unit bet that I already made. Let's recap this. Florida State, get in that labyrinth. Kill that Minotaur Clemson. Grab that rope. Get your ass out of there. Roll the back half of this schedule. You'll be playing for this conference, and no one sees it coming but Danny Belts. I think I'm right here. Florida State, over six and a half wins, plus the 115. And Florida State to win this goddamn conference at 28 to 1. Uh, yeah, Belts. Take the Florida State Seminoles, you culturally appropriating pig. Better yet, we need to take the under. I mean, like, uh, most Native Americans live under the quality of life than most cisgender whites like you. I lived in Houston for years, three and a half years. I met a lot of great people when I lived there. It was awesome. I met this one guy at a sports bar. I heard him talking about a 14 parlay that he hit. I didn't believe him, of course. And we started talking, became good friends. His name, for all intents and purposes, is Crazy Jake. Why is he crazy, Jake? Well, his name's Jake, and he's crazy. I'll give you an example. One time, he was banging some dude's girlfriend, then jumped out of a windowsill when he came home and broke both his heels. True story. He took a mega bus to my wedding and then got a ride home with two women who were at my wedding, in which all we met at this same very bar right outside of downtown in the Montrose area. That isn't a gay bar in that area, if you can believe that. Anyway, Crazy Jake and I have a lot in common. Let me go ahead and cue up some lighter music here. Before the most off-the-rails Molly rant you have ever heard, huge statement. Crazy Jake and I had a lot in common other than sports gambling. One thing we had in common was we loved to get effed up. We loved to drink, and a lot. And it wasn't but six weeks ago I was in Houston, supposed to have a dinner with a bunch of colleagues. They were tired. I wasn't staying too far out of the 610 loop, so I was like, yeah, I'll just go in town, call Jake. He answered the phone, we had dinner watching the All-Star game, and I noticed that Jake was not drinking, and I wasn't either. Jake knows my situation, but he also has realized that maybe excess drinking constantly is also bad for him. Who would have thought, who would have thought years ago that we would have dinner, break bread together, without me going through half a bottle of Grammy and him slamming half a bottle of Jaeger while I suck down red wine and he drinks every Miller Lite in the facility. Maybe he realized too, it's not the best idea all the time. Situation, albeit different than mine, his understanding was still the same. Who would have thought we'd be in that situation? I think there's a lot comparable to a certain football player that I want to talk about right now. Well, here we go. Much like my friend Jake and I, years ago, who would have thought we'd be in that spot? 
And who would have thought this quarterback with this particular team would be in this spot? Washington's a real weird state. I was just up there visiting. It's beautiful. The people kind of polarizing, but I found it to be really cool. Craziest governor in all of North America, Jay Inslee. He is woke AF and an absolute idiot. But that aside, Washington State in Pullman, Washington, has definitely built not quite the resume as of recent. New coach Jake Dickert tries to build things as he can. They had a surprising year last year and lost a lot of seniors. This team's very interesting, but for many, many reasons. I cannot help but think that Jake Dickert saw what happened on the other side of the country, and I'm going to tell you again, when Zach Kittley, the offensive coordinator of Houston Baptist, took his quarterback, or his quarterback took him, took the party to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where Western Kentucky went ballistic, he was making $65,000 at Houston Baptist, Kittley was, then $130,000 at Western Kentucky, now he makes $3.1 million calling the plays at Texas Tech. Ain't America grand. Who would have saw that coming? Things can change quick. Dickert's probably saying, can this be replicated? Taking a coach with me, particularly someone that will call the plays to be a package deal with a quarterback? Is this a one-off? Or is this something we can expect in the near future? Well, he rolled the dice, and he did just that. He's going to try to replicate what Western Kentucky just did, and I think he'll find some success. Guys, bring that mirror in, please. Yeah, put it on the wall. Yeah, thanks a lot. You're going to want to leave. You're not going to want to see this. Magic mirror on the wall. Who's the most underrated quarterback out there that wields a football? Oh, very good question, Bounce, you ask. Far more effective than a triple Fauci COVID mask. I scanned the country east to west, searching for that one with chest. I see a man in our country's corner, but I must say, Belts, I should warn you. An FCS transfer, as you know, most are turds. But this one comes from incarnate word. What's this? 71 touchdowns, 7,000 yards, I'm aghast. All in a season and a half? The Jerry Rice Award, he won this man's a warrior belts. I see him. He goes to battle, not with a shield, but two swords. The man you're looking for is indeed in Pullman, Washington. And his name is Cameron Wall. Mirror, mirror, thank you so. Sorry to be rude, but I gotta go. I'm pretty hype. You got any endo? Excuse my French, but I have to go to the fucking ticket window. Because there's no way. We're not jamming it all in on this team at every possible capacity we can. Over five and a half wins. My hairy shaved now white ass. I'll take that right now at plus 125. I think this team does a ton of damage in that conference. I think their schedule is perfect for what we want to do. As they set this up with the Idaho Vandals, a rivalry week one, they're going to let it fly. Eric Morris, the offensive coordinator now from Washington State, and a package deal comes to Washington State from Incarnate Word with Cam Ward, just like Western Kentucky did. The situation is replicable, and they're doing it right now. Bring a few offensive linemen, bring a few receivers, and now we got a party. And welcome to the party, pal, because no one sees this coming but Danny Belton. Thank you so much, my occultic mirror, for giving me that advice. I already knew I was right. We'll take it a step further. This schedule is ridiculous up front. They go to Wisconsin in week two. I think that game is winnable. Oregon, early in the season, 
USC early in October. They can win some of these games. This team is not who they appear with this quarterback. Washington State over the five and a half wins. If you haven't reached out and touched a brother immediately in the last 10 seconds and told him about the sports antidote, then delete my number out of your phone and pretend like you don't know me if you see me in public. So once again, reach out, touch a brother. Tell somebody about the sports antidote today. Follow us on Instagram at the sports antidote. Rate, subscribe, and review. And oh, I think I forgot something. I think I forgot something pretty important. Well, let's cue the original Molly music for the week one picks. Now, I told myself I wasn't going to go crazy. Three is too many. Three's the max. I cannot help it. I feel the fruit is too low-hanging in this week one. The only game that is not posted everywhere, FCS, FBS, is Washington State, Idaho. That's not a good sign. But the line came out originally at the win. My boy Dr. Jordan in Chicago found it, got it to me immediately, and it was exactly what I said it would be. 28 and 57. That's a, I nearly, I barely missed it by a half a point. I said 57 and a half. That could go either way. If you're looking at that, it certainly take lay the points, take the over. But I think the smarter play here is the team total in Washington State. If the math is correct from the total in the spread, the team total should be 38 and a half to 40. I think we'll get there easily. That is the play. But I can't post it yet. Please follow us at the Sports Antelope for the official picks when they go up. That will most certainly be one. I just don't have it at my disposal yet, and I don't want to make stuff up. Moving on. Let's go to Boone, North Carolina. Very interesting game here. Appalachian State hosting North Carolina. North Carolina week one looked very vanilla on defense. FAMU's quarterback, Musa, is a stud. We'll be following him all year. I was very impressed. However, Gene Chizik was calling soft coverage the whole game. Third and six, there's Nichols in the game. Basically giving these guys first downs, then tightening up in the red zone. I did not see that happening versus Appalachian State. When the line came out at two, three, four weeks ago, North Carolina was a small favorite in App State. It got bet down to App being the favorite after the FAMU game. I think it had no consequence on anything. People certainly like Appalachian State here, and I can see why. However, I do not feel you'll see the same defensive effort. I think it'll be a lot different. And I think you're going to see a defensive game, particularly more from North Carolina. We know App's going to play defense. So, North Carolina, Appalachian State, under 56 and a half. That is dropping. You may want to get on that now. Moving on. Where are we here? Oh, yes. It's tough to ignore what Brett Bielma has done at Illinois, righting the wrongs of Charlie Strong. His first year as coach, getting it together at the end of the year, great against the spread, beating Penn State in 17 overtimes beating the race-baiting coach for Penn State, which was awesome. He overstepped when he went to Arkansas, but clearly this guy knows what he's doing. They have an identity like they did at Wisconsin. They play defense. They run the football. They opened up a four-and-a-half-point dog at Indiana. It's down to one-and-a-half. We've lost a Mack truck ton of value. I don't care. We're still taking Illinois. Take the one-and-a-half. Don't get greedy. Second pick on the record, aside from the one to be posted on the Washington State total, we are taking Illinois plus the one-and-a-half in Indiana. And last but not least, what comes out of a Chinaman's ass? Rice, rice, rice. I believe that's the chant they say over there in Houston at Rice University. I've heard it. The drunk neighbors heard it. It's hilarious. They play USC Lincoln Riley's first game. Every single tout I've heard talks about blowout, talks about massacre. The public's on USC. Opened up at 36 and a half. Then how did it get bet down to 33? Hmm. I don't know. Something's going on there. Rice has 41 players that are jumping in the transfer portal and already did. They have a whole new team, one running back, 
runs a 10-300 meter. Their athleticism is through the roof. Clearly, people see this as well. I rarely never take a dog unless you think they can win. L.A. Burns like this, too. I'm taking Rice plus the 33.5 points. You may get it at 33. We get at 33.5 right now. We like them to cover. I don't think they can win, but I think their athleticism will keep them around. And another overrated USC year. Let's recap this one more time. Washington State team total TBD on the Sports Antidote page. Illinois plus the one and a half. North Carolina, App State under the 56 and a half. And we'll take Rice plus the 33 and a half. Has anybody seen Bro Exotic? We've seen and we're quoting. Demand transportation equity for pansexuals now! Exclamation point. Bro Exotic jumping on the sports antidote here on the most anticipated episode every year. The Futures episode, Bro Exotic, is in now with the sports gambling. I hear word on the street, word on Twitter and Instagram is that you come up with some quadratic wokeadry equation uh, involving appropriation with mascots, thus finding you winners. We here on the sports antidote don't care where you get the winners from, bro, but I just have to know what the logic is behind this. So what's going on, bro? Uh, What's going on, dude? Bro Exotic? Uh, Vice Pope of Cal, Church of Woke. What's going on, bro? Sick. And there's a lot going on here. But why don't you tell us what's going on here in regards to, uh, you know, these mascots? And, you know, let me just throw this out there to you, bro. Let me just go ahead and give a taste, a little sample, see if this works. Now, you know, bro, speaking of mascots, Texas A&M, the Aggies, they only have male mascots, probably right up your alley. Most people, however think that's kind of gay do you agree with that well i'm how dare you to say that one more time bro all right moving on just wanted to see if that one landed and it did all right bro bring us through bring us through your um bring us through your picks here let's hear it all right well if i can get through that one okay um <laughs> well for my first pick uh week one um uh, gonna refer to looney tunes all right, so you know we uh we have Wiley Coyote, uh, middle name E, uh, stands for ecosexual. Of course, uh, always trying to get the best of this Roadrunner. Um, you know it, it just kind of reminds me of uh, this great matchup we had this week, uh, Houston Cougars, aka the Lady Coyotes, um, against the Texas San Antonio, the UTSA Roadrunners, and you know, dude. Uh, uh, just looking at this matchup, dude, I'm just looking at the Roadrunners, and I'm just thinking of ICE. I'm just thinking of the uh, Immigration and Customs uh, Enforcement, or as we call them in Cow Church Book, uh, the Incorrigible Cisgender Elephants. Uh, dude, what is, what, where's the elephants coming from? Uh, never mind. Never mind. I get it. Yes, Republicans. Yeah, you get yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Walk so through that. We're just, uh, we really view uh, the Roadrunners uh, this coming week as, as, uh, as the evil uh, Trump mega ice and uh, how they're trying to uh, put down the Houston Cougar uh, lady coyotes hashtag women's rights. And we just find that to be a travesty. So I think we're going to empower the, uh, the Houston Cougar lady coyotes uh, minus four. We're going to, uh, we're going to fully back that one. Um, and uh, you know, dude, uh, we, there's so many different, uh, sites that you can you bet on uh we're, we're gonna go ahead and you know make this bet through draft queens draft kings 
Uh, no, you, you, no, uh, no, you misheard me. It'd, it'd be uh, draft queens. Women of course. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting it in Houston, the lady coyotes minus the four, you're laying the four points. You're putting, you are on the record, correct? I'm on the record. Yeah. We're going to take Houston minus four. Wow. Uh, this is happening. This we have to, is... uh, we have to stick up for, uh, stick up for women's rights, uh, especially against the, uh, cisgender. Racist, ice, yeah. roadrunner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially yeah. on draft queens. I got to check that one out. Maybe I can get a good deal on there. I don't think you're woke enough, but it's fine. You can try. Probably not. Uh, and, you know, bro, when you're looking at these games, most people look at, like, some sort of analysis. You know, there's quants out there pulling stats. They carry the one. They come up with this Any type of, like, valid statistics behind any of this, or is it just sheer mascot Wokadry. Well, sure. I have a stat for you. A hundred percent of your European ancestors misgendered their slaves on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag facts. I guess. Wow, bro. I gotta say, you know, just the gift that keeps giving. Just keeps giving. Yes, I think that statistics somehow might be correct. I mean, bro, seriously, though. I mean, seriously, do you even know who the coaches are in these teams? Like, let's say, like, who's the coach at UH? You impress me right now. Do you know the guy's name? I don't know. He's probably some overpaid millionaire white man with a receding hairline. That is correct. <laughs> that is acceptable. Uh, Dana Holger, I think you just nailed exactly what's going on there. Well, that was low hanging fruit anyway. I mean, I just figured. Yeah, it certainly was. Well, you chopped down that apple tree. Bro Exotic, uh, so much here. I mean, we've found out a lot about your statistical analysis. And boy, did you have a stat for me. That was hilarious. Well, of course, there's nothing funny about that. Uh, I'm not laughing at you, of course, or with you. It's just this is very serious matter with you. I understand that. We're going to take this pick very serious. Bro Exotic on the record, Houston laying the four. Houston laying the four, dude. Boy, am I going to be paying close attention to this as this is literally just people trying to be free versus a bunch of MAGA ice agents is all I'm hearing. So this should be interesting. Or Anything- if you want to take the live line, uh, if it happens to identify as three and a half, uh, I want to take that one too, dude. Oh, that's a whole Pandora's box of questions. I have yeah, about dude. line identification. Oh, dude, because yes, because like line identification is definitely fluid in the live line, dude. Um, Going to have to agree with that, too. Much like genders. It is very, very, very fluid. (laughs) Well, bro, Exotic, thanks for jumping on the Sports Sandlow with your pick. Anything you want to wrap with? Uh, Yeah, dude. Uh, No joke. Stay woke. And uh, bet your uh, Houston Cougar uh, Lady Coyotes, dude. Minus four. All right, man. Women's rights. Women's rights, dude. Later. All right, BLM. Their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines. Tommy Bench joining the sports end load here in the futures episode. It's a big one. People asked if you were gonna come that's on. What she of course. Said. Yeah, that's what that's what she said. Very good, very well placed. Anyway, uh, I know last week we had we we're kind of in and out there. I think we fixed it. I know you have a proclamation to make about something that happened the Monday after that. You came on, I'll let you do that, not stealing your thunder. Then you have a very specific point you want to bring to the table. So with that being said, the floor is yours. Well, it's always good to be back on the Sports Antidote, and I'm looking forward to hearing your futures picks 
oh, yes. for this year. But speaking of futures and predicting the future, last Thursday, and I know we had some audio issues. I, I think we got them settled. So I hope to have a nice, crisp, clean delivery here this evening. Last Thursday, one of the points that I went into with some level of specificity referencing specific numbers were the Florida primaries. Just to recap, we basically made the point that more Republicans voted in the Republican primary for agriculture commissioner than Democrats voted in a semi-competitive Democrat gubernatorial primary in Florida by a margin of about 100,000 voters. Well, if you're a faithful listener to this program, and we do thank those of you who are and those of you who are becoming faithful listeners, and you're also a faithful listener of the Ben Shapiro show, all deference and respect uh, due to the Hebrew hammer there. I, I enjoy his show. He made almost word for word the same points on Monday. Now, am I, am I flattering myself to the point where I think he listened to our podcast and thought, these guys are pretty smart. I should. Clearly I, he did. He clearly, <laughs> obviously. Obviously, um, we should bring him up on charges of plagiarism like Joe Biden at law school. Oh, whoa, whoa, oh, shots fired. Um, no, I, I don't think that's the case. But I think the, the point I'm making, and we have the receipts to prove it this time, is a lot of the commentary you're going to hear from people who do this from a, for a living, you can hear right here uh, from the sports antidote, uh, whether it's commentary on sports, commentary on current events, political things, issues of the culture. You can get it right here on the Sports Antidote and sometimes a couple of days ahead of time, depending on how things fall in the cycle. So without further ado, I, I have one major point and then I'm going to tap on one smaller story. The major point, the Mar-a-Lago raid. Now, right. as I'm recording this on Wednesday, the, the latest thing to come out is the FBI leaked photo of the evidence all spread out on the floor. And it, it, it falls into the category of it's the kind of thing people are trying to make a bunch of hay out of and Democrats are trying to say, you're ridiculous for making a bunch of hay out of this. And it's really, it, it should not be paid attention to. The more I think about this, the more I ask myself, if you believe, and I think there's strong evidence to suggest that it is the case, that this is a purely political action, you have to ask yourself, what is the end game? What is the objective? What do the political operatives who are controlling aspects of the Department of Justice attempting to accomplish? Now, the obvious answer is they're trying to put Trump in jail. I, I have a difficult time foreseeing a circumstance where Trump goes to jail for reasons that we spoke of a couple of weeks ago, finding 12 people who will convict a former president of mishandling documents or some procedure crime with the National Archives Act. I, I, I just I don't see that. Statistically speaking, you'll get one or two or three diehard Trump supporters on that jury. You'll get another one or two kind of moderate right-leaning people who, who probably think this is a bunch of hay. And you'll get five or six diehard Democrats who would vote him, you know, for the electric chair if he opened a lemonade stand without the proper permit. So hmm. I, I just don't know, even the most liberal jurisdictions, I don't know if you could run the table and get 12 diehard Trump-hating liberals on a jury to pull the lever and say, send a former president to prison over a procedure crime of mishandling class, even if he's as guilty as sin of mishandling classified documents. I just don't see that happening. Okay, so back up for a second. And as we make the point, just because we disagree, and I personally disagree very sharply with leftists and people of the, on the left of the political spectrum, does not mean they're all stupid and dumb. There's some smart people on that side of the aisle. Taking that into consideration, if we think back to the 2016 election, and the reasons why Hillary Clinton lost. 
One of the reasons that is proffered by the left as to the reason she lost, besides Russian disinformation, Russian propaganda, and all that sort of stuff, was the fact that with less than 30 days to go in the election, James Comey, the director of the FBI, essentially came out and said, Hillary Clinton committed crimes, but we're not going to prosecute her. There are a lot of people of the left and, and Hillary Clinton supporters and Trump haters who believe that was a decisive event in the 2016 election. That but for that, if James Comey just would have kept his mouth shut, Hillary would have cruised to election. I'd say reasonable minds could disagree. I don't think that was the watershed moment they think it is. I think a lot of people had already had their decision baked in. I, I'm, I just don't know if I buy it. But let's go with that rationale for a second. Let's assume that is a correct viewpoint that the tongue lashing issued by the director of the FBI cost Hillary Clinton or played a role in costing her the election. Here's my theory as I get my favorite tinfoil hat out. I think the smart Dems know they are not going to be able to put Trump in prison. They won't be able to convict him of felony. He won't, he won't admit guilt. He won't plead guilty, you know, to a, a felonious charge that would prevent him from running again. He won't do that. And I think they know they won't get him convicted. Well, what's the next best thing? I wonder if they're looking around, because by the way, a lot of comparisons have been drawn to what Hillary Clinton did as a secretary of state and what Donald Trump did as a former president with respect to mishandling classified documents. Of course, Hillary says we turned everything over. We all know that's not true. There's the whole bleach bit thing and tens of thousands of emails and emails that showed up on Wiener's computer uh, that were Huma Abedin's and uh, all kinds of nonsense that basically say that show she was just as cavalier and irresponsible as it looks like Trump was. And you could even make the argument that she was cavalier with things that were closer to real-time intelligence and of a much grander scale than whatever Trump has. Again, we, we don't really know the contents of the classified documents that Trump has um, or, or is in possession of if they were truly classified. And another fundamental difference is presidents have a wide range of latitude and authority to declassify things. Again, whether he followed a process, that's where he's opened up to a potential process crime. I wonder if the Democrats' objective is leading into the 2024 election, because they know he's going to run. And I think barring some real, uh, you know, black swan type event for Donald Trump, he's probably going to be the nominee. Are they hoping that sometime in October 2024, because everybody will drag this whole Mar-a-Lago thing out for, for 18, 24 months. Lawyers could do that, no problem. Are they hoping in in October of 2024, the director of the FBI or Merrick Garland, some, you know, um, stalwart figure in the Department of Justice, and, and we'll get a 10,000 word New York Times piece on how, you know, steady handed whoever this person is, is in their role. Are they going to trot somebody out in October to a press conference and essentially give the kind of tongue lashing that James Comey gave to Hillary Clinton? In other words, they'll get up there and say, broke the law. Serious evidence of crime breaking is present, but we don't think a reasonable prosecutor would bring a case. Is it possible that's what they're going for? And you might say, but that's kind of weak tea. I agree, but here's the upside of it, right? The, the downside uh, is it, it's kind of not that the stinging rebuke. It's, it's not what you want, which is to see Trump putting shackles and leg irons and hauled off to the clink. But here's where, here's where I think it might work for smart Democrats who are interested in playing good politics and winning and setting aside the Trump derangement syndrome. 
they would be able to say to their base, we did everything we could, but it was, you know, it was that impartial department of justice who stood in our way. We did everything we possibly could. And then they could also take that to the American people and say, we had real concerns, but we didn't want to make this political. And so we, we stopped short of putting a potential future former and future president in jail. Now, that's giving a lot of credit to the Democrats for, again, being able to set aside the Trump derangement syndrome and do what would be a politically savvy thing that might play well to both their base and mo some moderate voters and even weak tea Republicans that they would need to peel off to beat Donald Trump in 2020. So that's my theory. We'll see if anything comes of it or we'll just see if they go absolutely ridiculously crazy and try to go for a conviction and throw them in jail. If they do, I think they'll overplay their hand just like they were starting to do during the Kavanaugh hearings. If the Kavanaugh hearings were two or three weeks later than they were. The 2018 midterms would have turned out differently. They had enough time to let that fall into the rearview mirror. If you remember, the, the polls were starting to swing the Republicans' way because they were overplaying their hand with him. The question is, will they overplay their hand with Trump um, and be seen as purely political actors or people who are standing up for the rule of law and decency again a smart political operative could craft that message if they can just set aside the trump derangement syndrome for a second and if anybody would like to hire me to run uh political consulting for the dnc i start at uh five hundred thousand dollars an hour if i'm going to sell my soul tax-free too that's in the that's a 1099 10 absolutely um and then one other comment uh, in, in terms of culture, it is absolutely ridiculous that we cannot look at somebody like Lizzo and say, you are unhealthy and you should lose weight <laughs> without being criticized. She left. I mean, she didn't just leave the front door open. She just opened up the whole hatch with that. I did watch that and I had no idea who she was. Uh, I do know she's incredibly wealthy. And when I listened to that, I mean, I, I just was like, wow, the conservative backlash on Instagram should be pretty large. And there it was. It was hilarious. Well, and there was. And then and then what really got it is there was a comedian, happened to be a black guy, making the same point. Like everybody's all, yes, queen, but how about if somebody tells her to put down the eclair? Like again, <laughs> I'm all for look, I have a daughter. Okay. I, I don't want her to think she has to live up to some uh, unattainable standard of being stick thin or something like that. I have no problem with. You know, if Victoria's Secrets wants to have, quote, normal women in their ads, I think that's fine. But don't put somebody who's 150 pounds over. Again, she's not just curvy, a little thick around the middle, a little more cushion for the push and whatever, whatever euphemism you want to use. She, she's morbidly obese. She will probably not live past 50 if she does not make serious lifestyle changes. And again, I say this is your average guy who could stand to lose 20 or 30 pounds, but but I'm not 100 pounds overweight. I could stand to lose 20 or 30 pounds and Calvin Klein is not putting me on a billboard in Times Square anytime soon. Understandably so. Much as that might bruise my ego, I understand why it's not happening. But this society we live in where we have to affirm people's horrible decision making um, and, and, and be unwilling to say that's unhealthy, whether, whether it's you know all the nonsense with the transgender stuff from a mental health perspective or now physical I mean, it's objective. Being that large is unhealthy, period, full stop. You don't have to issue any exceptions or rejoinders to that statement. It stands alone by itself.
but gonna, this is the world we live in. Yeah, you know, Trump's obese. And he is, he is. And, yeah, well, he, I'm just saying the whole thing, like, Trump's obese, and I'm like, what about Stacey Abrams? Uh, no, right. can't do that. Never mind. We get yeah. it. No, um, we can't do that. Fortunately, some, some good polling coming out of Georgia. It looks like Walker might be taking the lead over Warnock by one or two points in a couple of polls, and Kemp seems to be solidly up on Abrams, a good five to seven points. So, so I don't want to go off the rails here, and I know that you have a shorter segment here because uh, I did go a little long. But since we're talking about polls within the Senate, uh, one of the most credible websites out there, um, the 53rd 8, I believe, very credible, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. They have Fetterman in the great state of Pennsylvania. Uh, he has a 75% chance to win is what they're reporting. Uh, and I will tell you, that I, I just need to say, being as where that's your home state, I have never seen in my life a more wild, and I say this loosely, right? A more wildly unfit person to be not even a. No, I'm talking about uh, like the chief of custodial duties at a high school of 16 people. And the dude just had a stroke. He can barely stand up. If I'm not, I didn't go to, I did go to Johnson and Wales, but not Johns Hopkins. But I'll right. tell you, I don't have a medical degree to know that strokes. Uh, post-stroke syndrome stress does not help that. And I, I don't know what's more stressful than being a politician, but it, it, what is your real quick? And I, I, again, I don't want to go too long on this, but like what, what is going on in Pennsylvania where this guy even has a shot? And it looks like he is kind of ahead. Not he, by, he is no, by, by, I'm, by every poll, it looks like he's solidly ahead either right at or just outside the margin of error. So I, I, I think if you were to bet, and say, if the election were held tomorrow, who would you bet on? I think you'd have to bet on him winning. The question is, can Oz flip the script? So here's why he's ahead. Believe it or not, he's taking the Donald Trump playbook. And what do I mean by that? Not on policy, but on aggressiveness on social media. He's using the Donald Trump playbook against Oz pretty effectively. Now, he did just back out of the first debate. And, and he's, trying to, he's trying to couch it like, Oz doesn't care about my recovery. Well, well, hold on. If you're saying you're still in recovery, so usually if you're in recovery, that means you're not, you're not at peak performance, right? Like, do you want to clarify? I mean, a a, a would answer ask his campaign those sort of questions. So the, the the question out there that will flip this race is: Will journalists start asking honest questions and say, you know, uh, Mr. Fetterman? You say you're in recovery. Does that mean you're not back to being a hundred percent? And make him make him answer that question. Well, uh, so can they run the clock out before people catch up and realize what you and I have realized and, and what it seems like some people are starting to realize regarding his fitness? And I don't mean how fast he can run a mile, but just general ability to function, his fitness for office is. And, you know, I agree. And, and just piggyback off one thing you did say, if you had to bet now, I did see two prop bets with uh, Fetterman. One was, will he again... This is plus 125 I was reading. Will he get into his truck with a shotgun and chase a black jogger thinking that he's a criminal? <laughs> so you can bet that one at plus 125 because he's already done that once. And right. the other real prop bet, it's plus 175 if he does. Does Fetterman have a suit and own a tie? I'm not sure because all I see the dude wearing is stuff that the Unibomber would. Does he realize that if he does become uh, a senator, there actually is some sort of something called a dress code? out there in dc i'm not sure but i might take that bet i'm looking into it it's those would be beth's bets worth exploring by the way i checked in gavin newsom still sitting there around 18 cents 
yeah. on predicted. If you'd have bought when we bought, you'd be up a couple hundred bucks right now on an $800 investment so oh, far. Speaking of futures, right? Perfect timing for this episode. Anyway, Tommy Bench, love to have you on next week. We love having you on every week. Recording sounded great, bro. Anything you want to close with? No, just looking forward to this futures episode and getting deep into football season and, and political season. Two great seasons that overlap. They do. Navy's running the table. They're going to the national championship. That's right. That's right. Get ready, Alabama. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you. Out here. What's wrong with little Pentera to close the show and some uncharacteristic music for the sports antidote? Thanks to Coach O, the drunk neighbor, Bro Exotic, and Tommy Bench for jumping on 115. What a great episode this was. And I stand behind my week one picks. I stand behind these futures picks and they will inevitably take us to where we want to be the bank and not to make withdrawals but to make some good old-fashioned deposits thanks for joining the sports antidote episode number 115 be sure and follow us at the sports antidote rate subscribe and review reach out and touch a brother and tell somebody about the sports antidote today keep it real antidotions